Yes, this is podcast 235, entitled The Year We Make Contact, and you've just been uh, listening to Tyrone Davis's uh, single, If You Had a Change of Heart. At least I think it was a single, and I love these soul songs from the late 1960s because they are so individual. They're so one-to-one. He's in a dialogue. Tyrone Davis is always in a dialogue with one particular person, mostly uh, someone with whom he is on the outs, and with the horns and the bass line uh, and the voice and the approach. There's tremendous feeling and also truth to these songs by Davis, but he's not at all the only one. There are others as well. Um, But Tyrone Davis stands out to me and I have been thinking about how we make contact. The Year We Make Contact, that's the title of the cast. I think it comes from the subtitle of a movie called 2010, The Year We Make Contact, which was an attempted sequel to 2001, A Space Odyssey. And how how do we make contact? We make contact with people the same way we make contact with God through their our points of pain. God meets us at our point of pain. And this is the um, issue which I've been at pains to say the church as a whole is missing. Uh, Paula White was so very, very powerful on um, 
on this past Sunday as she gave a pre-recorded message as Hurricane Irma was advancing on her parish, which is my parish. It's right there, Apopka Winter Garden, Florida. And she spoke about that the real problems in the world, ultimately, from a biblical Ephesians point of view, are uh, anchored in the problems in the church. And the problem with the church is that it's not preaching the gospel. It's not actually living out forgiveness uh, and mercy and repentance and faith in the true vertical manner which we have been given to believe is possible. And she does believe it's possible. I think she's absolutely sincere. She's flawed, as she has often said, and she is absolutely sincere. And I'd like to be like her. And I want to give you an example from a movie, but then from my own life, uh, several examples, actually, of what it means to actually relate to people and how that is the only thing we really have. But we have something which is immortal. We have something which is eternal when we can relate to our fellow creatures at a point of need, at a point of sorrow, and a point of suffering. And um, someone I remember as well as I can, as I remember you right now, years ago in Scarborough, she she attended a Presbyterian church, I think down in, um, I want to say Ardsley, but it may have been Irvington, but it was down the Hudson. And her husband ended up uh, just having the biggest problem you can possibly have in life, the biggest problem you can possibly have. And um, she told me in the context of that, she wasn't a member of our church, but I knew her and I was in the circles in which she moved and she welcomed my visit and I became, uh, I, I came to know her very well. And um, she said, well, I go to this Presbyterian church that I've always gone to down there, whatever the town on the Hudson was. And she said, I, I don't quite understand, but I always feel exhausted. I'm always being told that I should be doing this and should be doing that. And I always come away feeling that I'm guilty, that I'm not really the kind of person that they're holding up. It's a virtue signaling situation. It was just the 80s. <clears throat> it wasn't 2017. It was the 80s. But it was a virtue signaling situation. And she found that the, the, the cost of virtue signaling all the time when it was at odds with the real pressing and desperate problems that she was very sincerely but without the resources to face them was facing she became exhausted and that's when she fell into our lap because we really listened especially when a problem came along that was of overarching uh, impact on her life and the life of her children. Now I say that because you uh, have to understand that to get through to people you'll exhaust them with social progressivism or causes and you also won't really address them. You won't really speak to them because people don't live in groups and identities. We know all this. We've said it before. It's a very obvious fact to so many who are listening but it's not obvious to the world, but it's, it becomes obvious when you suffer a great loss. It becomes obvious. All of a sudden, the songs of Glenn Campbell, I mean, sorry, of Jimmy Webb suddenly seem to speak. You know, you heard, you heard Wichita Lineman for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden, it's you. You're the Wichita Lineman, and you say, oh my gosh, you know, I, I need you more than want you. Um, and and uh, the Wichita lineman is still on the line. Uh, God forbid, you know, etc., etc., etc. Now, um, the uh, power of this connection occurred <clears throat> in a parabolic form for me in a movie that was made in 1949. It's called Come to the Stable, and it's a movie Mary and I treasure. It's very old and not old-fashioned. It was directed by a great director who did Harvey. So, I mean, we're talking about someone who really knew what he was doing, Henry Coster, but stars Loretta Young, who got an Oscar nomination for it, and there were many Oscar nominations for it. But it's hard to imagine it being made today. But in, in it... Uh, two Roman Catholic nuns, one of whom is American, one of whom is French, who have been through a terrible 
terrible wartime catastrophic situation at a hospital, a, 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 a Benedictine um, hospital where they were the nurses in Normandy, uh, had prayed to God for in a combat situation in, in a great in, des, in desperate straits had prayed. The prayer had been answered, and they had promised as a result of this to come to where they were led, which in this case was southern New England, and found a, a new hospital, a Catholic hospital for children. And it is not so much their desire to be eleemosynary or profoundly uh, altruistic to the group called children who cannot get help otherwise, which they will, and it's a wonderful thing. It's to um, uh, obey uh, and to be loyal to the promise that they made in prayer to God. They are doing this as God's instruments, and it is how God leads them to case after case in, the, in New York and the suburbs of New York that makes this a very powerful movie for pastoral care. Any one of us who's involved in pastoral care, or with women, or with men, or with children. And um, one after another, they have these um, heartbreaking connections with people who end up giving them money and property to uh, fulfill their promise to create a hospital in New England. But the reason they give it is because their hearts are so touched by God through their ability to tell these women what's really going on with their lives. Now, let me give you the prime example. Um, there is a mobster named Luigi Rossi, played very beautifully by Thomas Gomez. This is 1949 movie, Come to the Stable. And the sisters uh, are led to approach him not knowing he's a mobster. And they just, without any um, constraint uh, or without really worrying about what they are thought of, but with great meekness but tremendous formidability, they uh, finally uh, end up talking to him. And he gets rid of them by giving them $100 and thinks he's done his duty. But as they leave, and he, he he's He's a mobster. He gives them this. She gives. He gives them this money, and he refuses to do what they really want. And uh, so Loretta Young says, "Well, thank you, Mr. Rossi. Um, I understand you have other priorities. Uh, thank you for seeing us." And she leaves. But um, he he stops them for a moment. He says, "Sister, did I hear you by any chance speaking French to your uh, to your uh, to the other sister?" She says, "Yes." He said, "Well, are, are you are you from France?" And she says, "Well, I'm American, but I've lived in France for many years." And he says, "Well, did you did you by any chance live there during the war?" This is just a few years after the war. And she says, "Yes." And and uh, he says, "Well, um, uh, did you by any chance?" She said. Uh, then she says, "Yes, we had a hospital in in Normandy," and the man said, "Oh, did you did you?" I know this is strange. She says, "But did you by?" any chance ever meet my son, um, uh, infantry trooper Luigi Rossi, and the two nuns look at each other and they say, no, we didn't, uh, uh, but you must be very proud of him. And then they turn to walk away. And Sister Margaret Loretta Young is sort of hit by an inspiration, and it's really love and, and insight. And she turns around. This is the true pastor. This is the, the John Zoll moment. This is the pastoral moment. She turns and she says, uh, Mr. Rossi, uh, I'm, I'm, did your son come back? And he says, and I get Jerry choked up talking about it. He says, no, he didn't. He was listed among the missing. He's, he's unknown. He's, he's, where he died is unknown. And she says, oh, she said, I'm so terribly, terribly sorry to know that. Uh, we will pray for him tonight in our community. The two of us will pray before God for his soul. And he says, he says, yes. I said, thank you. He said, you know, my wife died before, uh, before uh, our son, uh, the news of his death came. She was happy. The priest was there. She had a requiem mass at our church in Long Island. He's a classic mobster godfather type. And we buried her in Calvary Cemetery. 
and I was so glad she she died happy, i.e. I'm not happy is what he's saying, because she never knew that our son had been killed. It's extremely affecting the, the way the man says it with such uh, such abashment, but lack of any kind of sentimentality or a desire to get a response from. He just says what's really on his heart, and um, and he says and and uh, and and then he he he, uh, he she says again. She says, "Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for telling us. God bless." And she leaves, and he closes the door. But suddenly, you, you can see he's, he's touched. Something happens. He, he opens the door and he says, Joe, get those sisters back. And his, his toady, played by Mike Mazurki, brings the sisters back. And he, this look of enormous despondency coupled with gravity appears in his face. He says, Sister, I'm going to give you what you ask me. I'm going to find, I have the deed right here to this property you're asking for in Connecticut. I'm going to give it to you. You go see my lawyer downstairs and he, he'll make it regular. I'm giving you this land. Uh, because I'm touched by what you're we doing. There's only one condition, that if there's a stained glass window in the chapel of your hospital, you dedicate it to my son, Luigi Rossi Jr. Oh, well, it, it, it is so powerful, and uh, it, it happens. It turns out the ending brings everything around so beautifully. And they uh, end up um, uh, touching another major character who's much more sort of a waspy slash waspy Hollywood type who's very successful, who owns most of the land where they're planning to build this hospital and who's completely indifferent and rather antagonistic to religion. Polite, but completely indifferent and hard as nails. Hard as nails. Tough as nails. And how they get through to him you have to see the movie because it's credible. They get through to him through where he is actually accessible. Now, I've told this to you, the story of Luigi Rossi, the son of Luigi Rossi, and the mentioning the final character played by Hugh Marlowe, who is also touched credibly, because this is what happens in life. This is what happens with people. This is what happens. This is why why um, widow, elderly widowers want to marry their nurses, because they, they're able to be completely themselves at times, transparent and completely vulnerable in every sense to the nurse who's Kind of, and I can't tell you the number of of of, uh, of marriages I've been related to as a clergyman of, of uh, older widowers who've married their nurses, um, because it's not it's because they they are responding to being dependent and then saying what's really on their hearts to a female, and this uh, uh, connection that happens between Sister Margaret and Luigi Rossi is based on a loss that he cannot talk about, the unbearable loss of his entire life, and he is able to say it to her. She, through the grace of God and through her own quick-wittedness and her insight that something is going on in him beyond and above all the apparent walls that separate him from being a good man and uh, the reasons why he is the way he is. She sees it, and she sees it, and but it, it, without pushing it, without uh, confronting it uh, herself on her own terms, God brings it out, and incredible things happen. I think I've told you the story about the churchman, lay churchman, who was sitting near us at a conversation in Lower Manhattan deanery of local Episcopal parishes, and I was just telling someone else uh, at another side of the table about what we were attempting to do at our parish, in which we were establishing small groups for uh, the very uh, loose-ended individuals who came to us in this parish. Very loose-ended. It was not establishment. Never has been in New York, but it certainly wasn't then. And uh, these loose-ended people whom we were trying to bring to some kind of new healing and new help and new repentance and new honesty and new belovedness and new care through small group Bible study and prayer groups, and uh, he literally jumped out of his chair. It was as if it was as if a, a landmine had been had been set off under his right foot. He jumped out of his chair. He was, as I said, a layperson in another parish. You're doing what? 
Well, it was like something inside this man that you wouldn't see uh, beneath the gruff and rather witty, sophisticated, ironic exterior. Something that was crying to be heard. Someone is crying to be heard. Traffic, you know, that great song. I think it's by Jim Capaldi. Someone is trying to be heard. Someone was trying to get out with that man who was, in fact, very, very unhappy man. Very, very unhappy. And something that I said by chance at a neighboring conversation hit him like a landmine under his right foot. Or the time when someone came to church in St. Mary's out in Westchester, which no longer exists as an Episcopal church. It's a, ooh, sans les neiges d'antan. Everything is passing away. But uh, nevertheless, um, this, um, someone was brought by a friend. I had never met the person, and I went over and visited uh, this lady uh, just drop by to say, I've never met you, but I couldn't help but see you on Sunday and wanted to say hello. How are you doing? And then it came out with just a very, very few moments of quiet. Her devastating loss, the a loss so deep that she was close to she was close to self-slaughter. I mean, she was she was at the point of being so undone by the loss of the man she loved for many years. And uh, I believe she and her husband had been literal characters in a John Cheever story years before. She was so undone by the loss that she could barely stand up. I mean, she put on a good front, but deep down, and it came out. It came out, and she told me about this. Trust very gingerly. She was had many, many layers of defense, but they came down almost immediately when she talked about him, and then it really came down. And I don't believe she ever missed a Sunday, except when she might be visiting a son or daughter um, somewhere else uh, on a weekend. The whole time, the next five, four years, we were at that parish. Uh, she was so touched, so deep, and because people are people have these deep, deep wounds. Almost everybody, not everybody. I, I like to say everybody, but Mary feels that's too either or. But let's say I, I'm willing to agree with with Mary on that. Let's just say that a great many of us have sores, losses, wounds that are so great that uh, burning wounds that. Um, that these wounds are really what's preoccupying their attention, whether they're to stoplight, whether they're in the middle of Hurricane Irma, whether they're smoking a cigarette or whether they're sleeping at night, whether they're walking around the block, whether they're thinking about their Costco, you know, <clears throat> something is actually absorbing their emotional attention. And when you get to that, when you make contact, the year we make contact, then everything changes. This is why I play these songs for you son, uh, week after week to touch you in the places where you were when you first heard the song, or you can get in touch with this universal thing. People are not groups. People are not identities and they're not predicates. All this that you hear around us, you know, I'm a, I'm a, Paul is a, he's a dead white male or he's an almost dead white male. That's not true. I will not appeal to God on the basis when I die. I will not appeal to eternal righteousness and goodness and love in terms of being a, a white male. I will be speaking to them as a, as a person who had a run I had a run in a certain number of years, and this is my this is my love, and this is my loss, and this is my hope, and this is my truth, and I will not be appealing on the basis of predicates. I'd like to say to people who are so upset about Hurricane Yuma, Irma, and it is very upsetting, and we've been directly affected. We have been directly affected by it, and those we love have been directly affected, seriously affected by Hurricane Irma. Not a talk, not overblown, but I do like to say, you know, when you are dying, you will not be thinking about Hurricane Hugo. You will not be thinking about Hurricane Harvey. It's right now, it's absorbing. I never say to this when it's happening because I've been there. I've, I've lived it in my own, you know, as we've said, Hugo, we, were, we lived it for 18 months. And, um, and uh, it was terrible. But I never think about it now. As such, I think about my son who was very ill during that time, recovering from a near fatal 
a staph infection. Or I think about this or that other relationship in a parish, or this or that rejection that I receive for not doing my duty properly or accurately according to their lights in a particular situation or another situation. I can think of all sorts of things about my own faults and losses and hurts and, what is it, the song by the Moody Blues, my burning wounds, a burning wound, a burning fire. Um, I can think about those things, but the logistics of the hurricane never crossed my mind. They're about number 19 on my list of things I think about. Now, Tyrone Davis, his songs, those I can think about, and the song we're going to end with now. That's all I had to say. Thank you so much. The Year We Make Contact by, as Sister Margaret shows us in Come to the Stable, which is a must-see, and it's easy to get a hold of. You can rent it or buy it or hire it or purchase it. Um, She gets through to Luigi Rossi because Luigi Rossi has a great, great hurt that God has an answer for. And the way uh, God resolves these hurts through an abreactive moment of confession and faith is extremely hopeful for the human situation. Thank you so much and God bless. Stop, oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait, wait, Mr. Postman. Please, Mr. Postman, look and see. Oh.